With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. 780-496-0063. John says, hi, Reed. I like Mac T. My favorite Mac T moment was when he ripped the tongue out of the Flames mascot. I'm sure we'll talk about that at some point. Uh, Ryan says, Craig McTavish is the best. Unbelievable insight. I'm 30 now, but growing up, I was best friends with Dylan Simpson. Craig was coaching the Oilers at the time, so we got to go in the dressing room after wins. Mac T introduced himself and asked my name. Over five years later, I saw him at Safeway, and he said, Hey, Ryan, how have you been? Unreal that he'd remember always stuck with me. Yeah, that is uh, very cool. Trucker Dave simply says, McTavish is a beauty. <laughs> well, Glad uh, glad to hear that. Yeah, Mac T is going to be on the show every couple of weeks here. A great addition to Inside Sports. We appreciate him making the time, and it's all courtesy Avalon Foundation Repair, Western Canada's leading basement waterproofing company for over 50 years, home of the lifetime warranty. Doug said, Reed, the Oilers had me believing that they were the real deal. The uh, last 10 games have burst that bubble. That is from Doug. Well, we'll see how they do. You heard, I think you heard a lot of patience from Mac T there in that his segment, and that uh, this is the time of year to maybe recognize some problems and iron them out. And we also have, oh, this is a good one. John says, "Read media coverage from across the country seemed somewhat shocked and really impressed at the size and passion and engagement and energy." of the Edmonton crowd talking about the soccer match last night. John goes on to say, no one from here was surprised though. That is just what we do. And one of those we's doing it last night at Commonwealth stadium, my colleague here at six thirty, Chad, Brendan Escott. Escott, are you warmed up first of all from being there last night? Yeah, I, uh, I have dampened the carpets around the house, thawing out from the icicle that I was, but I promise you that all other 44,000 people would agree that it was worth every bit of it to witness that that piece of history. And, you know, we, we've talked about this. We've known that this was on the radar for, you know, what, a month, a month and a half, two now. And, and you, there was high expectations for, for what that game was going to be, Reed. And uh, needless to say, it was smashed out of the park last night, both with the result and with the atmosphere of Commonwealth. Uh, now, uh, first of all, you got to tell me the story here because is it true that you had a ticket to sit with the Mexican supporters? What what happened here? I didn't realize when I found myself a solo front row ticket in Section B that that section had been designated for the Mexican supporters in particular. All of Section B was except for apparently uh row one seat three was designated uh, you know in that sense and believe me when i got to the top row uh of that section i realized that it was a bit more intimidating an environment than i uh, had 
really anticipated. So fortunately, I had bought uh, another section of four, so I was able to sit with some friends. But uh, yeah, for what I thought might be a fun solo mission into enemy territory ended up being very quickly turned away at the gate by the fact that the Mexican fan base really genuinely is, is an intimidating presence. And they came out in droves last night. Well, I, I was going to ask you. I don't. Know, I don't know if it's you can estimate, but would it have been in the several hundreds, or maybe even in the couple thousands, people there actually cheering for Mexico? I honestly wouldn't be surprised if it was closer to say a sixty forty, maybe a sixty five thirty five split. Seriously, I was I oh, was wow. absolutely floored. I'm talking on the concourse, and they are in sombreros and luchador masks, and they've got Mexican flags, and they traveled very very well so not only were you getting representatives from you know the the mexican community here in edmonton but i got the sense that there was a lot of people who made the trip here in support of the team and when you know you got a top 10 uh soccer team in the world i imagine they follow them just about anywhere they go but maybe not so used to following them up into what was really the tundra for them last night they still put on a great show in terms of them cheering and and uh you know countering all the canadian cheers and really making for for a great atmosphere but uh, you know as far as the play on the field went there was a lot more for the Canadian fans to cheer about throughout that game than there was for the Mexican supporters tell me about the moments uh, the two goals were scored well, I was fortunate enough to be sitting sort of in the corner of that first goal, and it was in extra time as the first half was winding down there. And the center back, Alistair Johnson, who to me is one of the rising stars of this uh, Canadian soccer program, he makes a run up the field, and, and the anticipation kind of grows. And I think there was a couple people, I won't bury my girlfriend under the bus, but yeah, she actually did get up and, and go off to the hot dog line a couple minutes early. Well, guess what happens? Johnson takes uh, takes it upon himself to run up the middle of the field and and boom uh, with you know kind of a counter-striking mentality you could feel a very quick build in the crowd and then the roof if there was one would be there no longer because Kyle Laren blew it off the place when he finished it past uh, Guillermo Ochoa in the Mexican net read it was um it was interesting to hear 44,000 or so people you know all reacting I know they weren't all cheering but they were all reacting at that time and you know I I haven't experienced something like that at Commonwealth. So, and I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there who will remember that for a long, long time. And then you get the goal that, that really ultimately kind of put it away. And you figured this was the talk on the the shows across the country today is Canada needed that second goal because it's CONCACAF. And in this regional qualifying tournament, history has proven that stuff always goes sideways and it never favors Canada. So when Laren picked up that second goal and it was kind of the collective exhale like holy smokes this actually is going to come to fruition and even if there's some external factors going on here you know there's reason to be excited right for the end of this game and you know Mexico made the late push but ultimately uh, I think that the the synchronicity of, of the energy of the fans you know it just made for such an incredible experience that again I think the expectations were going to be hard to, to meet and they exceeded them they really did well, that, that's a great point. And I, I was saying that earlier in the show, like get get six points. And I'm thinking like, I, I hope they get a win and a draw. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> Especially mm-hmm. you. I mean, I talked to you at work yesterday. I said this game's going to be nil-nil. It's going to be bad conditions. They're going to boot it around for 90 minutes and no one will score. But Canada went out there and got the lead. And especially that second goal off the set piece, a, a really nice goal that I feel you see other countries score all the time. And Canada isn't able to score often enough. And that was the one that made it 2-0. Somebody, somebody's uh, contesting your count of the Mexican fans on the text line. To that person, he's he, it's a rough estimate for Mr. Escott. He didn't count by hand. Uh, That's but, correct. But uh, there, there were Mexican the fans. So they didn't yeah, let it yeah. in. There, there, were, there were Mexican fans there, of course, as you'd expect. That, uh, what? Their their pride in their country at Ice Teca Stadium, as I love how it's been dubbed. It's it's interesting for me, Brandon. And as I was saying off the top of the show, things I thought I would never say in my life. Canada is in first place in Concacaf World Cup qualifying. I, I I thought probably someday we'll get in again. I I saw 1986, and then all the disappointments since. So uh, look, I don't know if they're going to finish first. They clearly have the inside track on qualifying in the top three, but it's, it's going to be different for people your age and even more significantly younger. And I guess I I know I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I think it's fair to talk about the fallout. Um, You know, I think a lot of the Canadians we're seeing in the NBA now, well, that's the product of seeing Steve Nash win MVPs 15 years ago. I I wonder what the Canadian soccer program is going to like, look like, you know, three or four world cups from now that i mean hope so hope so but it's it's potentially exciting when you think about it the fact that this seems to be the frontier at least of this particular wave and if this is the first generation of true canadian stardom in terms of soccer then i think it's, it's going to pave exactly like you're talking about you know steve nash vince carter the carter effect i totally agree with that and and wholeheartedly alfonso davies seems to be embraced not only by our city i mean we know it as edmontonians but you know nationally and internationally this player is a superstar and he's very likable so there's a lot of reasons for people to latch on to this as as you know their reason to pursue a dream to to wear the red jersey and when you have those iconic moments that you know as a i played soccer growing up i loved it i played right through the end of high school and it's something i i wish i was a little better at so i could have taken through university as well you know and and there's going to be more people that genuinely view that as a serious opportunity there was a million and a half viewers on average watching that across the country last night a million and a half for a soccer contest those are playoff hockey numbers as as i understand it so you know i think it's trending in a fantastic direction it's about more than Alfonso Davies as we saw there's other players who can get this done but you know as a whole read I think that the program obviously is pointing straight up and it's gaining international notoriety which just brings it to much more legitimacy here at home yeah and uh, who knows maybe we get well they just got two home games left right one in January and one in March maybe we get the March game I don't think they're going to give us the January game <laughs> I, I, I think I suspect, that. Well, this yeah. is the thing. The the FIFA officials there last night. I mean, could, should that game even have been contested, man? They must have been, uh, you know, on the precipice of calling it off because playing on an artificial surface like that, like that had to have been concrete to those players. And if 
we're talking about World Cup games, it has to be a pitch full of genuine grass. So there'd have to be some upgrades made. But I'll tell you what, as far as the crowd reaction and, and the support showed for the home club, I don't know that Edmonton could have showed out any better for those FIFA officials to say, hey, maybe we are a spot for 2026 after all. What was your view... And unfortunately, Brendan, the the most I got to watch the game and concentrate on it was probably the last 10 minutes because it was during the Oilers game. Uh, I mean, Rob and I had it on a second screen, but I missed the both goals live. Luckily, Rob kind of saw them and pointed to the screen. But that was so weird at the end of the game. That scrum of players sort of pushing and arguing started in, in, by the penalty area, and it ended at center like were you still in your seat for that yeah that- i was so here's here's what happened milan borjan being the wily veteran goalkeeper that he is for the canadians after they surrendered that goal late which was you know a good press by a quality player on the mexican side and he got in there and knocked it home and then borjan he dove on that on the ball so that he could kill a little bit more time. And when he did that, all of the Mexican players swarmed after him to get the ball, run it back to center. So the Canadians couldn't waste any more time. Well, as we know, as hockey fans, as soon as the goaltender becomes involved in any sort of altercation like that, the jawing is going to be there. There was already some animosity even before kickoff at this one, you know, this is CONCACAF football. I don't know if, if a lot of people realize like this is known for being an incredibly physical, brand of football so while there's I'm sure people on the text line saying hey you know they're laying on the pitch or what have you that happened a couple of times but you know relative to the European game this is physical stuff so there was a lot of nastiness over the course of that game I thought it started very early actually Daniil Henry had a big tackle on the back end about two minutes in and that set a physical tone but yeah uh, you know what after Borjan did that trying it was gamesmanship right trying to kill a little more time the Mexicans didn't like it that's how they responded and ultimately Canada was able to stem the tides the rest of the way it was tense by the way it felt like they played until about the 99th minute of that one well it was close I think it went to 97 because they had to add time onto the time added on hey I'm glad you had a great experience there that's so cool you got to go thanks for taking us inside the stadium and I will see you at the other stadium Rogers place tomorrow for the Oilers and Jets man I'm looking forward to it yeah me too man thanks for having me that is Brendan Escott, producer of Oilers Now from the 630 Chet Sports Department. So I'm glad to get his perspective of his view. He, he was in that corner for the first Canadian goal. And, uh, man, that, that that was something. We're talking about the Canadian men's soccer team. The women have been awesome. The women have won a gold medal and been in other big games. And uh, now the men are coming on, too, which is pretty awesome. He was on the Certainteed Hotline, 780-496-0063, professional-grade building materials. It's Inside Sports on Chet. Excellent guitar riff. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Had Craig McTavish on the show earlier. He's going to join us every couple of weeks. NHL tonight, it is the Avalanche and the Canucks scoreless about six minutes into the game. Later, the Tentacle team takes on Chicago and the Capitals face the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, by the way, the uh, Edmonton Oilers 
trailing the Anaheim Ducks for first place in the Pacific Division. In points, the Oilers do have the best points percentage. The Anaheim Ducks have won eight consecutive games. Pretty amazing for a team that wasn't expected to do very much this season. You got Anaheim, Edmonton, Calgary right now, the top three teams, uh, then L.A. and Vegas. L.A. had that long winning streak uh, into the weekend, so they've had a good start. Uh, Really, Seattle and Vancouver really struggling. A lot of speculation about maybe some changes in Vancouver and uh, Seattle not doing uh, here's a, here's a crazy thing about Seattle they still lead the league in fewest shots allowed per game and we talked about that when they came to Edmonton earlier in the season that they they didn't give up a ton of shots um, they're only allowing 26.1 shots per game that is the fewest in the NHL um, they don't take a ton of shots either at uh, 29.1 they're where are they 27th so they're they're a low event team but not a lot of not a ton of skill there to get the events going their way when they need them uh oilers when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply perspective the Oilers give up well I've lost the page on the internet everybody hence my dramatic pause Uh, the the Oilers are giving up 33.6 shots per game which is the fifth most in the league so I think that probably doesn't surprise us. And they are taking 32.9 shots per game, which is the uh, 10th most in the league. So, so the Oilers are a high event team. And in some games, it has served them well. And in others, it it hasn't. I, I do think this home and home here is a benchmark against Winnipeg. I, the Oilers were, were quite frankly, pushed around last night. I thought the, the Jets came in with a pretty definite game plan to play physical against Edmonton. Now, other teams have done that, and it's easier said than done. I mean, I know Boston wanted to try to make it a difficult night for the Oilers, and they hit a, quite a bit and forecheck pretty hard in the first period, but they weren't able to keep it up, and the Oilers were able to figure some things out. And Edmonton ultimately won that game you know st louis wanted to do that to the oilers they did it at times but not for the entire game i think in terms of an opponent doing what they wanted to do against the oilers for the entire game the jets were the most successful at doing that and they have the personnel to do it they have three really good lines they they have good defense i think they've you know they had a bit of a drop off with their defense uh after some players left or were traded and now they're kind of They've built it up a, a little bit. I was on CGOB in Winnipeg today, and they asked me about Neil Pionk and how he's maybe a little bit surprisingly become this player that can really get after McDavid and I think frustrates McDavid a little bit. And I think we saw that last night with McDavid with that uh, high shot for the roughing penalty with about 745 left in the third period. So, you know, end of the road trip, okay, fine. If the orders were a little tired and a, and a little bit out of it, okay, I mean, we'll see, but then you better bring it tomorrow. And like I said, start the game better. And 
let's show some interest early in the game and let's try to be a little bit of a bully and let's hope the Oilers physical players and bigger players can uh, grind away at the Jets and throw some bodies to the ice like the Jets were doing last night. So that to me, that's a big storyline going into tomorrow. I, it, you know, we are early, as Mac T was saying, we're a long way from the playoffs, but I consider this a bit of a bit of a benchmark for the Oilers right now. It's on 6.30, Shed, tomorrow, 5.30 for the face-off show. Game is going to start at 7. Morley Scott going across the country. He's next. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.